At Urban Farm Podcast, we are all about education, and April is Foliar Feeding Month. Have you heard of it? It is a super simple application of spraying liquid organic fertilizer on your trees and garden plants. The leaves, branches, and trunks are incredible at absorbing nutrients. And if your soil isn't great or your pH is off, foliar feeding is a quick and long-lasting fix to get your plants the nutrients they need. Want to learn more? Join us for our free online webinar on how to apply this amazing process to your gardens and fruit trees. Visit urbanfarm.org to sign up. That's urbanfarm.org. Greg Peterson here, and I want to thank you for listening to the Urban Farm Podcast. We wouldn't be able to keep doing these great shows without you. So as a token of my appreciation, I'd like to offer you access to a list of our top 10 episodes I personally find most inspiring. If you enjoy the Urban Farm Podcast, but don't have time to listen to everyone, then you will love this list. Although all our guests have great information to offer, if you are short on time, these 10 are must-listens. To get access to the top 10 most inspiring podcast episodes, text FARMER to 44222. That's FARMER to 44222. And enjoy listening. You're listening to the Urban Farm Podcast, your partner in the Grow Your Own Food revolution. Whether you've just been introduced to urban farming or you're a lifelong advocate, we're sure you'll leave feeling more informed, equipped, and empowered to dig deeper into the soil of your local food economy. With you every step of the way, here's your host, Greg Peterson. Today on the Urban Farm Podcast, we have Megan Kane to talk about her experience with garden planning. Megan grew up an urban girl in a row home in Philadelphia. She never saw a vegetable growing in the ground until she was into her 20s. A few years ago, she quit her job and traveled to Africa for two months to volunteer with a fair trade organization. Now, she is a garden educator, writer, and speaker. She has developed one of the first youth gardening programs in Madison, Wisconsin, designed and installed gardens in many homeowners' yards, managed a quarter-acre youth farm, worked on CSA farms, created a series of gardening classes that often have waiting lists, and tends a large home garden. She knows what works and what doesn't and loves to share it. Megan is setting out to create a legion of gardening addicts that successfully and passionately grow their own food. Through her gardening education business, The Creative Vegetable Gardener, she helps people get more from their gardens by first mastering the essentials and then indulging in the colorful details that make gardening not just a favorite pastime, but a lifestyle. She and her husband often take the month of January off from work to travel to distant locations and have spent time in Mexico, Costa Rica, Nicaragua, Chile, Hawaii, New Zealand, Australia, the coast of California, and their second favorite city, Portland, Oregon. Welcome to the show today, Megan. Thanks, Greg. I'm happy to be here. Yay, I'm excited to talk to you. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at now? Sure. I uh, grew up in Philadelphia, so uh, so a lot of times people ask me, I live in Wisconsin, uh-huh. and because I teach gardening and speak about gardening, people will assume that I grew up on a farm, uh-huh. but I always say I grew up on the opposite of a farm, which is a row <laughs> home in Philadelphia. Oh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> so we didn't have a yard. Uh, I didn't know anyone who gardened, and I actually didn't 
really, we didn't really eat vegetables growing up. So I don't think I ever really thought about vegetables or, or how they were grown. Uh-huh. And so I didn't, had no kind of, of, no gardening background, definitely an urban, a very urban background. Uh, and then after I graduated college, I moved to another big city, San Francisco. Oh, wow. And, lived there for a couple of years. And while I was living there, I just, I started to think, oh, I want to learn how to grow food. And looking back, I really don't know where those thoughts came from, Mm -hmm. but I just chalk it up to, you know, weird things happen to you when you live in California. (laughs) (laughs) There you Um, go. Your brain, things happen to your brain when you live in San Francisco. But I think I had, I had gone to the farmers. I started going to the farmer's market. Of course, they already had a lot of farmer's markets there Mm -hmm. and agriculture was a big thing and local food. And so I think just, I think it, of course, a lot of things start in California. So a lot of the local food movement was, was, already active there and I started to get interested in it but I didn't really know that much about food I didn't really know how to cook and I didn't know about a lot of the vegetables so I'd go to the farmers market and I'd try to figure out what are all these vegetables and then I would buy some and take them home and I didn't really know how to cook and, <laughs> and then would try to figure out how to cook uh, and then so what I decided to do is look around and see if I could find an internship and so I did oh. apply and got accepted to an internship to move to it was kind of a combination of an intentional community mm-hmm. that and a farm a small organic farm uh, in northeast missouri so it was a, a town of a hundred people hold on hold on hold on you went from san francisco <laughs> to northeast missouri a hundred people yeah yeah wow. needless to say it was a huge culture shock that's actually I the had... word i was going to use culture shock <laughs> yeah i had no idea how to live in a rural area and i would they didn't have a lot of infrastructure there so i was sleeping in a tent i didn't even know how to set up a tent i had never really <laughs> gone camping i bought a tent right before i moved there and just we would cook food outside on a on a wood-fired stove and just every you know there was a lot of things you had to do for yourself chop wood yeah carry water fire. yeah carry water <laughs> pretty much uh so yeah it was a huge huge culture shock wow. and but once i got over that after the first few months uh, i was an intern on the farm so they had a farmer there who would grow a lot of the food for the people that lived on the land mm-hmm. And yeah, I just started to to work with him. And then my internship was actually only for three months, but I decided to stay. And then with a, a friend of mine there, we took over the herb garden that wasn't really being used or cared for. And then I started wow. my own garden uh, near a little cabin that I was living in. And so, yeah, it's just one of those decisions that at the time you just say, oh, I just want to go and figure out how to grow food and now looking back I see that it really shot my life in a completely different direction I can completely get that so how old were you when you moved from San Francisco to Missouri rural I was 26 Uh, And how long did you live in a tent before you got to move into your cabin (laughs) about six months so I actually ended up oh my gosh it changed my life in a couple of different ways because I actually met my husband there, my oh, now husband. Oh, nice. And so we we slept in tents for about six months, but then winter was coming. Oh, yeah. And there was someone who had started construction on a cabin, a, a small cabin, 90 square feet, 
Uh, so basically <laughs> a shack, a that, garden shed, maybe you could say. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's a cabin, 90 square yeah. feet. <laughs> yeah. that, it was there. You know, it was a step up from sleeping in a tent. So Absolutely. Was, you could stand up, at luxurious. So we ended up finishing as much as we could, winterizing it and enclosing it and getting a wood stove put in and mm-hmm. insulating the, the ceiling, the roof. And then we moved in before it got really cold because we had decided that we wanted to stay for the winter, but it's it's way too cold to, to sleep out in a tent all oh, winter in I, Missouri. I gonna, yeah, I was going to say, well, hold on here, time out. You didn't stay there in the winter, did you? Yeah, but we were in the cabin, so we had a wood stove, and they there was also a main house that that's where the bathroom was, and that's mm-hmm. where the kitchen was, and so you know we had access to other areas right. besides just our ninety square foot cabin. But right. so yeah, I ended up living there for about a year and a half. Wow! And then my now husband and I left, and then started did a little bit of traveling for uh, about not quite a year, maybe mm-hmm. six eight months or so and actually during our travels we woofed on a couple of farms so if folks don't know about uh woofing it's willing workers on organic farms so there's Mm -hmm. a big network around the world where you can look up farm listings and then go stay and work on farms so we did that in hawaii and we did that in california and we did it mostly on the west coast in the u.s and then hawaii so just had the opportunity to go see different farms and different kinds of climates mm-hmm. and see how different people were, were growing food in somewhere other than Missouri, which is where I had learned how to garden. So right. it, was, it was a really interesting experience. Yeah. Wow. So do you call yourself a farmer? I don't know. Uh, okay. I, I, I call myself a gardener. Uh-huh. Um, when, after we traveled for a while, we ended up where we live now, which is Madison, Wisconsin. And I got hired to develop one of the first kids gardening programs here oh, in Madison. Nice. And then did that for a few years. And then they got the organization I worked for got some funding to start a youth farm. So uh-huh. growing food on a larger scale. So we had about a quarter acre uh, garden that I developed the garden, the farm, we would call it the farm. Mm-hmm. And then the programming that went around that. But no, I've worked on CSA farms mm-hmm. and I've actually, I learned a lot from, I often say to, to gardeners who want to deepen their knowledge that volunteering or being a worker share or an intern on a CSA farm is a really great way to learn Oh yeah, how to be a better gardener, mm-hmm. really, because farmers are professional gardeners on, right. a lo- are on a large scale and they treat it really seriously and I was able to take a lot of the things that I was learning on the farm and translate them into a smaller scale into my garden. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to I wanted to have a very productive, very organized home garden. So I took a lot of the things that I learned on from working on farms and it really influenced the way I garden. So I definitely have a farming influence in my garden and uh-huh. and I I can tell when I read sometimes other other gardeners books or hear the way that they talk about gardening i think you can tell the people who have worked on farms uh, because they talk about gardening in a specific in, in very specific ways right. that are that are in a way more related to farming than they are to gardening yeah 
So that's kind of what I've done in my own business is try to try to distill some of those things down so that they're more applicable to the home gardener on a smaller scale, but that they can still take advantage of some of the knowledge and the techniques that are used on bigger farms Uh in in more serious and productive operations. Yeah, which is a really important to see those things that you can scale down that's actually working on a larger scale. Yep, yep. So your bio says you are setting out to create a legion of gardening addicts that successfully and passionately grow their own food. Oh, tell me about that. <laughs> well, I I'm trying to set people up to love gardening and be successful gardening for uh, have it be a lifelong addiction, let's Mm say, (laughs) Uh a lifelong hobby or a lifelong passion. So I'm always thinking about, I don't want to just have people garden for a year or two and then say, eh, it's too much work or it's Mm -hmm. not worth it and I'm done. And certainly that happens with some people or or gardening kind of comes in in and out of people's lives. But I'm really hoping to try to, I focus a lot on education and helping people be successful because I think when you're successful, you have a lot more fun. And when you're having fun, you're going to be more likely to continue yeah. gardening. Right. And so I, I, my goal is for people that read my blog or come to my classes or see me speak or whatever, that they that I help them delve more deeply into gardening so that they really fall in love with it like uh-huh. I have. And then it becomes. You know, I, now I can't even imagine my life without a garden. <laughs> I don't. I don't know that I'll ever not have a garden. Right. Maybe, you know, maybe you take a year off or you travel for a year, or take a sabbatical. But but it's hard to imagine not uh, not having a garden be a part of my life because it's become such an important and deep part of my my yearly cycle. Yeah. Really. Yeah, it's a way to follow the seasons. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. I have owned the urban farm. It's a a house in the middle of Phoenix on a third of an acre for 28 years. I've lived here 27 of those 28 years. And the year that I didn't live here, I lived in a small condo in a, in an outlying town here of Phoenix with a wonder, uh, 200 square foot back patio. <laughs> that was where my garden was at. So I completely understand what you're saying. Yeah, and and you live somewhere that had a patio, and you still managed to have a garden. Have a garden. <laughs> yep, exactly. And I grew a fair so. amount of food there. So you're an author, and you've written a couple of books. One of them is called Smart Start Garden Planner. Tell me about that. So over the years, I realized that the most successful gardeners are people that make some kind of plan before the season starts. So it doesn't have to be long and complicated. It doesn't have to take hours and hours. Mm -hmm. So going back to working on farms, farmers spend a lot of time coming up with their farm plan for the season, what Mm -hmm. they're going to plant every week, where they're going to plant it. Uh And I realized, okay, well, that's that's one of the reasons why farmers are successful because they think about their farm before the season begins. Mm -hmm. And so that's one of the things that I took from working on a farm. I thought, well, I'm going to come up with my own plan before the season begins. And so I've noticed then meeting thousands and thousands of gardeners over the years that it, that it is the most, the most successful gardeners have some kind of plan. Sometimes it's mostly in their head. Uh Sometimes it's down on paper, 
so I decided to write a garden planning book. So it's specifically about helping people walk through creating their own plan for their own garden. So I can't tell people what you should grow and when you should plant it and where you should plant it, but I can help you think through all of those things that, so that you can come up with your own personalized plan for your own garden. So there's a lot of worksheets in the book that oh, nice questions that you can ask to um, think about your eating and your grocery shopping and your cooking habits mm-hmm. and there's one of my favorite parts of the book is a section called veggie essentials. So I help you look at the different characteristics of vegetables. So how big does the plant get? How many days does it take to get a harvest? Uh, Is it a plant that you just go and you harvest once like an onion, you plant an onion and you just harvest it and then it's done. Or is it more like a tomato plant where you plant it and you can go back multiple times and, and harvest from the same plant. Mm -hmm. So helping people kind of understand all these different characteristics that go into each vegetable. So then they can decide what do they think is worth it to grow in their garden or not, which is different for all of us. Right. I grow onions because I love growing onions, but for somebody else, they might say, oh, onions are inexpensive from, from the grocery store. I don't want to start my own seeds, so I'm not going to grow onions. Mm-hmm. And then somebody else, and for me, like I don't grow, I don't grow a lot of winter squash because it takes up a lot of room. You don't get that many per plant. Instead, I'll just go to the farmer's market and buy a bunch of winter squash before the winter and then <laughs> store it in my basement and eat it all right. winter. But Somebody else might be in love with winter squash and grow lots of different varieties. Yeah. So, so it's I'm a definitely a proponent of of strategically looking at your garden. Mm-hmm. So, and even really looking at your like I said before, your grocery shopping and your cooking and your eating habits. Yeah. Um, and then strategically deciding what you're going to grow in your garden because most of us, unless we have a mini farm don't have enough room to grow everything we'd like to grow. So we're always having to make decisions about what we're going to grow, what we're going to have to leave out. And so I'm trying to help people make more educated decisions about what they're going to grow instead of just running out to the nursery and buying a bunch of plants and seeds and throwing them in the garden, thinking about it a little bit more so that really on the, on the other end, they feel like they're getting their money's worth out of their garden. You feel like, yeah, you get a lot of bang for your buck because mm-hmm. gardening is certainly a lot of work. It's a lot of joyful work, but yep. it's still a lot of time. Right. And it and it's an investment as well. And so if you can feel like you're getting the most from your garden, then I think that's another thing that goes into helping people feel inspired to continue to garden year after year. Yeah. I get this question often. What do you what should I plant? For me, the obvious answer is, what do you love? Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Yeah. What do you eat? Mm-hmm. What do you buy from the grocery store? So I think some people like to think like, well, what's expensive to buy at the grocery store? Oh, that's one way of looking at it. What do I buy every week that is expensive? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there's a lot of different ways you can look at, answer that question really. But yeah, yeah. just like you, you're you're hinting at, it's like, I can't tell somebody what they should plant. You right. have to decide. Yeah. For yourself, it's it's what you're going to eat, what you're not going to throw in the compost or that you're not going <laughs> to harvest and going to go to waste. Yeah. So I'm on your website, creativevegetablegardener.com on the gardening basics page. 
and I just had to drill down a little bit under planting and maintenance. And there's a couple of things here that I want to ask you about, like stop tilling your vegetable garden. And my, my first question to you would be, as somebody that didn't know the answer to that, would be, uh, I thought we were supposed to till the garden. What's up with that? <laughs> yeah, that's one of my, it's one thing that comes up a lot when I teach classes or if I talk about tilling. So I'm not a big proponent of tilling. It can destroy the soil structure over time. It also can bring a lot of weed seeds to the surface. Mm -hmm. And I also think it's a lot more work in the long term because every year you're starting from scratch. Certainly in Wisconsin, sometimes we have wet springs. You have to wait for the, the soil to dry out before you can plant. And then you're, you're kind of, you have this blank slate every year. Whereas I have a more permanent garden design. So I have some raised beds. I have some more mounded beds that don't have a frame, but they just are mounded soil. Uh -huh. uh, and in the spring, I don't need, I don't have to relay out my garden. I don't have to figure out where the beds and the paths are going to be. That's already set up. And so in the spring, I just go out with my plants and my seeds and I just start planting. Mm -hmm. I don't have to wait for anything to happen or for for my, my neighbor to come over with the tiller. And and what I've learned or noticed, let's say, from working with lots of gardeners over the years, I actually think a more permanent garden, the, a more permanent design is easier to maintain over yeah. the long term. Mm -hmm. It's very clear where your beds and your paths are. Uh, you can keep your paths mulched with wood chips or whatever you want to mulch them with so that you don't have to weed the aisles. And then when you're focusing on the fertility, if you're going to add compost or manure or amendments, you can do all of that just in the garden beds. Yeah. You don't have to worry about the paths. And so, yeah. And, and then if you think about aesthetics, I actually think in general, a garden with more of a design, with more of a foundation is is a more attractive garden yeah. than one that you just till up every year and make a bunch of straight rows and you have soil in your paths and um so I, so for me there's a lot of reasons but uh -huh. i would say num number one reason is ease of maintenance yeah. and less work a lot less work yeah yeah that's one thing that people don't necessarily understand you don't have to break your back to start a garden yeah i think that's true i, I have Sometimes in my talks, I show pictures of my house that I live in currently, and uh -huh. we just, we didn't even try to get, we didn't dig up the grass or anything like that. We just put cardboard over the grass and ordered some soil and made our beds. Uh, sometimes just, like I said before, just a mounded bed. Sometimes mm -hmm. we use logs and rocks, and then we have a few traditional raised beds, but we didn't kill ourselves trying to get rid of all the grass yeah. and, and dig it up. No, I'm, yeah. I'm definitely, I, I'm a minimalist by nature. And uh -huh. so I try to do the easiest thing first. The simple solution is always the thing that I try first. Yeah. If that doesn't work. Yeah. The lazy way. <laughs> yeah, a lazy gardener. Exactly. Exactly. So as a caveat, if you were to try that here in Phoenix, which is put cardboard down and grow it over your garden or Mm -hmm. grow over the lawn uh, the Bermuda grass would take over your garden so we have one of those noxious weeds called Bermuda grass here that has to be taken out mm -hmm. so and so I'm envious of you because you don't have to deal with that 
Yeah, we don't have Bermuda grass here. I, and I think that's a good point. So there are situations where you might have to dig things out. I, I have Creeping Charlie that kind of mm. co- can still come up. I still covered it over with cardboard and wood chips. And then as it comes up, then I start to dig it out. Yeah. So I decided, well, instead of trying to dig it all out at first, maybe I'll just cover it all up. And then as it breaks through into the garden, uh, then I'll use my digging fork and kind of dig things out. So I think that's a good point. There are yeah. sometimes, you, depending on the weed, you might have to oh, hand yeah. dig it out. Yeah, yeah. So on this same page on your website, there is a link that says how to build an herb spiral. First of all, mm-hmm. yeah, first of all, I tell people grow herbs because they're the most expensive thing to buy in the store and the easiest thing to grow. And what would I be doing if I was building an herb spiral? So an herb spiral is from permaculture, mm-hmm. uh, one of their parts of their garden design. Mm-hmm. And I actually read a book called The Vegetable Gardener's Guide to Permaculture, ah. which is a really interesting one because a lot of times permaculture is practiced on, on larger plots of land. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so if you live in a city, sometimes it's a little more difficult to practice permaculture. So I thought, oh, I want to see how I can apply permaculture to a vegetable garden. And one of the things they talked about in there was an herb spiral. Mm-hmm. And so I decided to build one. And if folks want to see what it looks like, I do have some pictures on my website. You could just search on my website for herb spiral uh and I, actually there's a little video of i was on a on a pbs show where they they came by when i was building my herb spiral so oh, there's nice. a little there's a little video on my website that shows how i built it but i basically it, they're extremely easy to build mm-hmm. and i just went to one a deconstruction store a, a reuse store in uh-huh. madison and bought a bunch of old bricks yep. from a, a really old building and then it's basically what it sounds like. You're building, the spiral actually goes up. So it's, you kind of can do your outline and then you build the bricks up and then you end up filling it with soil. And so the, in the permaculture, and actually in that book, would be a good book to get out of the library or buy it if folks are interested. But they then as the spiral moves around the different directions, mm-hmm. it creates different little microclimates. Yeah. So the things are that are on the east, they only get, they get morning sun, but not afternoon sun. So you put the things that don't want to be as hot and dry. And mm-hmm. then at the top where it's hot and dry, you can put rosemary or lavender or thyme, the things that, that don't like to have wet feet, don't mind dry conditions, really like that heat. Up on the top, yeah. Yeah, and then you can kind of work your way down depending on the direction. So, so that was really fun, and it's actually one of the most commented upon features of my garden. People always want to know what it is, yeah, yeah. Uh, and they want to go over and look at it. And I plant it. I plant. I, it's all filled with herbs. I also plant some herbs because I grow a lot of basil. I'll plant mm-hmm. it in different parts of my garden. But, and I, one of the other reasons I built it is because some certainly at different times of the year, and especially in Madison where you have a long winter. The vegetable garden can be pretty flat for a lot of the year where it's not that interesting, sometimes covered in snow. And I like having just that little feature of having this little brick spiral that kind of sticks up out of the garden. Uh And it's just a little aesthetic addition as well. So it's really functional, but it also... I'm very much into having a very beautiful garden as well as a very productive garden. So I'm often thinking about ways, okay, how can I 
how can I marry production and aesthetic beauty? And I think an herb spiral is a really nice way to do that. Absolutely. Absolutely. I've built them the, before and they are fun to build too. Yeah, they are. And they're really simple. And and if you, I often I'll tell people just go on Pinterest and, and Google or put in the search herb spiral and uh-huh. there's all kinds of different styles and it's really fun to see all the different ways that people have interpreted herb spirals and yeah. created some really interesting designs. Yeah. So on your website, there's a tab that says the club. Tell me about that. You have a gardening online gardening club. I want to know more about it. Yeah. So my online gardening club is called the flavorful life garden club. And it's really for gardeners that want to delve a little bit more deeply into the gardening lifestyle. Mm-hmm. So I think when you get deeper into gardening, you realize that it bleeds over into your entire life. <laughs> and it's not just about growing food. It's also then you have to learn how to cook with the food uh-huh. and preserve the food. And then I think you pay a little bit more attention to your health and nature and potentially exercise. And so you don't know that when you start gardening, but you eventually realize, wow, gardening really influences a lot of the different aspects of my life. And so it's a, an online club. We have a private Facebook group that we People can ask questions and share pictures of their gardens and ask for advice. We do a lot of sharing of successes and failures <laughs> and commiserating with each other. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I think people feel better when they know, oh, yeah, it's not just me dealing with the squash borer or cabbage moth or what, you know, this disease. Uh, and then we have a, an online virtual classroom. Oh. So people have their own account and they can log in and every season I have different instructional videos around a theme so this time of year we're talking about garden planning so I'm leading people through the process of garden planning again lots of reflection and worksheets and then we also have I have a series of seed starting videos that I that I filmed in my I I call my seed starting laboratory which is my guest room of my house nice (laughs) And then just walking people through the process of starting seeds and answering common questions. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's a combination of videos and worksheets that people can access anytime they want. And then our Facebook group where people can ask questions on a day-to-day basis when there's things that are happening right now. Because one thing I've noticed about gardeners and myself included, it's like you're having a problem today and you want the answer uh, right now. Yeah, of, course. <laughs> of course. So, and then there, but then there's also the opportunity to deepen your learning and build on your skills by watching videos. Yeah. During the season, I film most of them in my garden. So that's really fun. So oh, in nice. different, different parts of my garden and show people how to do things. Um, And I try to keep them pretty short. So most of them are are six minutes or less Mm because I know that people are busy. So you can just kind of pop in there and you can watch one because you want to learn more about a certain thing. Or I know that some people sit down and watch a few at a time. So, yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. And we have gardeners from all over the world, actually. And what happens is usually the registration opens and closes. So the next time registration will open will be April of 2017 for anyone that's listening to this podcast at a lot a different time Uh Um, but I have an interest list on my website when people click on club you can get on the interest list and then you'll be the first to know when registration opens and I have usually a special deal for anybody that's on the interest list yeah perfect perfect 
creativevegetablegardener.com. There's a tab called the club. So I'm going to shift on you and I'd like for you to talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that fairy and what you might have learned from it. Well, I think <laughs> I I often will tell people like gardening. One of the things I love about gardening is that you can you start fresh. Certainly when you live in Wisconsin, when the gardening season comes to a complete halt and you get to start fresh every year with lots of new experiments, uh-huh. <laughs> which also means lots, sometimes those experiments fail. Uh-huh. <laughs> I would say one of the the hardest times I had with gardening is our, not our current house, but our house before this, we bought a new house. It was a townhouse and we did have actually lots of open space around. So we were able to have a garden. Right. But what I didn't know at that time was that when you buy new construction, the soil structure is completely (laughs) destroyed. Yeah. They basically take all the topsoil and sell it. And we watched them spread the topsoil back on, and it was about an inch of topsoil. Yeah. But I didn't have as, as much, well, I didn't have as much experience as I did then, or, or that I do now. Right. But what we did was we just built our garden, and we knew that the soil wasn't that great. And so we brought in some soil and some compost. And then I plant, we planted the garden, and then it grew for a while, and then it just stopped. Just everything stopped growing. Mm-hmm. And then some things, I have a picture actually of a broccoli that put in uh, on <laughs> out this like little one inch broccoli head yep. and then things turned yellow. It was like everything just came to a halt. And I realized, okay, I think that we have a bigger problem on our hands <laughs> that we yeah. had originally, originally thought. So I think, and it actually... We, we worked, we lived there for about seven years and we worked on our soil. We kind of worked on our soil, but I think the mistake that I made is that I didn't really do enough research. I didn't have enough knowledge about soil fertility and, and soil nutrients to really do it effectively. Like I would just throw like, oh, I should go to the nursery and buy some blood meal because I heard that's good. And I'll just throw that on the garden and now I'm going to get some green uh... sand. Yeah. And later I actually went to a class by a soil scientist and he said, you should never add anything to your soil until you know what's in it oh. or let's say not in it. Right. And I thought, Ooh, yeah, I didn't do that. I just started to throw a bunch of things onto my garden beds, but I never, I didn't know what the problems were. I uh-huh. didn't know what nutrients were missing. And so in a way I I mean, I didn't waste seven years, but I think I could have more adequately and more successfully addressed it if I had had more knowledge and I had done more research. Now, looking back, there's a lot of things that I would have done more quickly right in the beginning Mm -hmm. so that I could have really built that soil up. And it's it's a big topic. I think that's one thing I learned. It's like it's not an easy question and it's a common question that I often get. Like, what should I add to my soil? Right. It's like, well, soil fertility is a huge subject and it's not a one line answer. Right. But I do often say to people, well, this soil scientist I took a class from said, never add anything until you know what's there. Mm. I thought, well, that's a good piece of advice that, yeah. that I did not, I didn't follow because I didn't know it in the beginning. Right. Exactly. But, well, that's, but now I, I do. I, I think that's the value that you with the creative vegetable gardener, and me at Urban Farm U, that's part of the value that we bring in our courses and our classes and our 
content that we put up, it's, you know, it's based in a long term reality that we've, you know, we've experimented and failed and succeeded, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I think so. And I like to tell people that I help them skip over the beginner mistakes so that they can move right on to the advanced ones. Yeah. Because there's plenty of mistakes to be made in gardening, and, but there's a lot of ones that you might as well just avoid. Right. And I think beginner gardeners sometimes get stuck in some of those most common mistakes that take the fun out of it. Right. And they feel like they're failing and they feel like they're making all these mistakes and they're not a good gardener. And so I try to just help people get past some of those and then you can... There's, there's always going to be plenty of mistakes to make. Yeah. So skip over the, the ones that are easily avoidable and then go on to the more experimental mistakes. <laughs> right, that you exactly. Continue to make year after year. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So what do you consider your biggest success? Hmm. My biggest success. Well, I think... I feel like just journey of becoming a gardener mm-hmm. that I grew up in an urban area. I didn't know I wasn't really connected to nature that much. I did spend a lot of time outside playing, but I didn't know anyone who was a gardener and just the, I think the courage back when I was in my twenties to just listen to some voice in my head that said, go learn how to grow food. And I just, I don't know. I trusted, I trusted that, <laughs> that feeling and that intuition and I, I did it and then it could catapulted my life in a totally new and unexpected direction. Yeah. Um, and, and I think just following that path w- where it's led to lots of different places and now I have my own business and who knows where it'll lead next. But I think it's just continuing to follow the path and being, really being dedicated to to learning about gardening. I think when, as the deeper you get into gardening, the more you realize there is to learn. And yeah. that I think that's one of the th- that's one of the things I love about gardening is that uh-huh. the learning never ends. You can do it for your whole life and there's still little details and little techniques and new varieties and new ways of doing things that you can experiment with for forever, right. really. Yeah. And I'm so I, one of my favorite things is a watermelon. And I live in the desert, and one would think that watermelons would grow really nicely in this warm weather. And I've gardened for 42 years now, and I can't for the life of me figure out how to grow a watermelon. <laughs> and I keep trying, you know. So, so watermelons, your your arch nemesis. Well, one of them, yes, <laughs> yes, one of them. That and spinach. I haven't figured out how to grow spinach either. Mm, Yeah. So what drives you? I think what drives me, I think in my personal gardening journey is I think the love of gardening, the, the, the passion that I feel, the, the, I think the deep joy that I get out of gardening, that it touches me on a really deep level. Yeah. I think aesthetically and intellectually and spiritually and emotionally, it's it really it's deep deep in there. Uh, it's such a part of my my life and my being that, like I said earlier, I can't imagine 
I can't imagine my life without a garden. It, yeah. uh, and I'll be interested to see as I get older if I ever do have times when I don't have a garden. But mm-hmm. since I since I started to learn how how to garden, I've never not had one. And then I think what motivates me with my business is to to try to share and ignite that love of gardening and other people mm-hmm. because I think overall we're all our society is a lot better off the more of us who at least dabble in growing our own food yeah that getting to that makes you think about the larger food system and where food comes from and really how hard it is to grow food and how much time it takes and the challenges that are involved so that when you go to the farmer's market you know i have a very deep respect for people that choose to be farmers and grow food for us because it's not an easy job (laughs) And it's not necessarily a lucrative job either. And so when I go to the farmer's market, I'm happy to pay the the prices that are a little bit more expensive than maybe my local grocery store Uh because I know what these people are going through. And when my watermelon crop fails, I can go to the farmer's market and get watermelon from someone who's having more success. So, So I think, yeah, I think there's, there's, I think it's a radical act to grow your own food in a society that of ours that is so mechanized and and you can walk into the grocery store, any grocery store anywhere and get pretty much any vegetable or fruit that you want at any time of the year, really taking, I don't know, there's a certain kind of power and, and self-sufficiency and I think satisfaction mm-hmm. that comes from knowing that you can grow a portion of your own food and provide for yourself and and create a garden that you don't definitely don't get that same sense of satisfaction by just walking in the grocery store and buying whatever from Chile. Yeah. Um, yeah. Amen to that. So I'm all about education and I have to know, is there a book that has been influential for you in this process? I think the... Probably the most influential, like we were talking about, was working on farms. Mm -hmm. And I actually really like the Seattle Urban Farm Company, which when we were talking about, you can kind of tell which gardeners have worked on farms Uh because of the way they talk about gardening. They have two books. um, And when I read those books, I have thought, yes, this is that's how I think about gardening. Um, and of course, they have their own style and they have their own ways that they think about it that are different than mine. But it's been fun to. They're some of the only, at least that I can find, people who have farming experience but are also working with gardeners. So they do a lot of design and installation in the mm-hmm. Seattle area. And they actually have a podcast as well. I'm. Um, so they and they delve into kind of the details kind of it's they're they're kind of like garden farm nerds just like uh-huh. me and yeah. probably you that yeah. were even if you listen to their podcast like they kind of t- get all nerdy about uh-huh. they had just had you know they have a whole podcast or a whole episode about peas and a whole one about potatoes right was like, you wouldn't think you could talk about potatoes for 30 minutes but you can if you're a garden nerd so. <laughs> right exactly <laughs> and all the different uh, kinds that there are yeah. And then I think for me, I often winter is a time where I do a lot of reading and I have time to get gardening books out of the library. And I like to get different books out of the library. And I've found that you just kind of pick 
up little tips and little ideas and different ways that people are framing different concepts and techniques. And um, I feel like it all kind of coalesces into a whole and then you have some of your own experience and uh, and then, yeah, you just learn. It's fun to, to learn about how other people are growing food. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. So that is seattleurbanfarmco.com. I'm on their website. It looks like a good one. Yep, yep. So they have two print books and they have a podcast. And if you're in the nor- in the Seattle area, you can probably, they may teach classes. I'm not sure. Sweet. So what one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners? Final piece of advice would be, I think, to keep at it and to just, the one thing I've learned about gardening is that you, if you stick to it, you learn a little bit more every single year and your knowledge just builds upon itself. And so if you're a newer gardener and you're in your first year, second year, third year, keep going because you, as you get deeper and deeper into it, I think the experience becomes even more rich and like we were talking about more joyful and just really lodges itself somewhere deep in your being where someday you'll be like us and, and not ever imagine (laughs) can't imagine not having a garden so there know that I think more experienced gardeners know that quote-unquote failures and mistakes are part of the experience I I like to say that gardening has its own sort of mystery to it that Uh there's times that things go wrong and I have no idea why they went wrong right and I did the same thing I did last year and I don't know what happened. And, and a, a new insect comes into my garden and destroys something, but that's, it's just all part of it. Yeah. It's part of the experience and the learning and the mystery that is gardening. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show and sharing your experience with us today, Megan. It has been a treat getting to chat with you. Thanks for having me. I am always happy to talk about gardening and yeah, folks can find me at my website, which is creativevegetablegardener.com. I have an email list that you can sign up for there. I send out about an email a week with different timely educational topics. You can also find out about my books there and the gardening club is there there as well. And I'm on social media um, and I actually have a free Facebook group for gardeners from all over the world. We nice. have hundreds of gardeners. And so I'd love to invite your listeners to become a part of our gardening community. If you sign up for my email list, you'll get an invitation. Oh, perfect. uh, And it'll have a link where you can click on the link and then request to join the Facebook group. But I'm in there every day and people are posting questions and they post pictures of their gardens. And periodically we have a, we just had a garden planning challenge where we had a few days where um, I was posting prompts and people were talking about planning. So yeah, it's a good way to connect with gardeners from all over the world. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you. Because gardening around the world is pretty much the same. Yeah. So you can find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org backslash Megan. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast. Greg Peterson here, and I want to thank you for listening to the Urban Farm Podcast. We wouldn't be able to keep doing these great shows without you. So as a token of my appreciation, I'd like to offer you access to a list of our top 10 episodes I personally find most inspiring. 
If you enjoy the Urban Farm Podcast but don't have time to listen to everyone, then you will love this list. Although all our guests have great information to offer, if you are short on time, these 10 are must-listens. To get access to the top 10 most inspiring podcast episodes, text FARMER to 44222. That's FARMER to 44222. And enjoy listening. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen three days a week for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. One of the first things that many of us learn when we start to garden is how to water and fertilize the soil. But there is an exception to this rule and it's called foliar feeding. You should foliar feed or water the leaves of your plant with liquid fertilizer when you want certain nutrients to be absorbed better. Not only are the leaves great at uptaking liquid fertilizer, if your soil isn't very good or your pH is off, foliar feeding can help your veggies and fruit trees quickly get the nutrients they need to thrive. If you're ready to start foliar feeding for maximum growth yields and quality, head on over to urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves to see our selection of foliar feeding products. That's urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves.